everyone. I'm Sarah Hayden, host of the New Way podcast. Welcome to Holy Week. Whether you are listening from a room in your house that you've seldom been able to leave this year due to the pandemic, or whether you find yourself preparing for the second quarantined Easter in a row, we want to offer you two very special episodes as a gift of reflection, perspective, and peace. There are no shortages of conversations and opinions on the meaning of Holy Week, but perhaps it is the mystery of faith that is most compelling this year. The Gospels account for us the loneliness of Jesus as those closest to him grew tired of his grief and trauma. There are details of the trial, the violence, the last few friends who walk away when death draws near, the heavy stone against the tomb. Today, we invite you to imagine with us what might have happened in that pregnant silence between Good Friday and Easter, when the world grew still and those who had lost Jesus could only grieve. Jesus' followers sought to find meaning in his execution, especially that they saw him as God's anointed one. The fact that the empire put him to death is just unfathomable for them, and they wanted an explanation. And we do, too. We need explanations. We look for explanations for things because we want to understand them rather than just sit with the mystery of them. I am joined by my friend, Rula Alashkar, a pastor and new worshiping community leader living in Sacramento, California. In this first of our two-part conversation, Rula describes the Holy Week atmosphere of her native Lebanon. She sings for us the beautiful chant of Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb. And together we discuss the precious mystery of our faith and imagine what might have happened to Jesus and his followers when resurrection was the furthest thing from their minds. Let's jump right in. Rula, thank you so much for the privilege of this conversation with you. Thank you, Sarah. One of the things I admire about you is that you live such an intentional life. And I think I see such a rootedness between the conversation that we're having today and the community that you're in the process of developing right now. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to tell us a little bit about Yama Yoga and the community. I'd be happy to. Yeah, we're we're talking about the stillness and the silence and the slowing down and calming ourselves down to listen to the voices that are leading us to resurrection and the community that I am about to start very, very soon. Mm is a community of yogis and we're going to practice um new form of yoga i wouldn't call it new i'm sure others are doing it around the country it's new to sacramento it fuses christian spirituality with the physical practice of yoga yama is what i call my community yama actually the pronunciation in greek is yama i a m a or iota in Greek, and that's one of the Greek words that were used in the New Testament for healing. So this is a ministry of healing, and the goal is to provide space for people to experience healing and beauty in their bodies through movement and to experience the unconditioned love of God through genuine relationships and through the community. I would love that this community would be a sanctuary for people who are not necessarily church people or religious people, 
but especially those who were hurt by the church. And a lot of my friends identify as nuns or those who do not have any religious affiliation or duns or those who are mm-hmm. done with yeah. the church. So I'm hoping that this would be a welcoming space for really everyone, regardless of their gender, sexual identity, religious beliefs, colors, or any affiliation. I'm so excited about providing this space for people to just come and experience healing and be accepted and loved uh, no matter where they come from. It's such a beautiful way to begin community and such a beautiful way to begin a whole new life, really. Yeah, yeah. I have experienced transformation through yoga and I have experienced healing. And most importantly, I have experienced God on my mat. And I'm hoping to offer that experience to anyone who would come and either try one of our meetings or who wants to be part of the community. I'm really looking forward to hearing some of the words and the music that is a part of your own faith journey that comes from growing up as a child in Lebanon. A nice place to start might be as we think about journeying into this time of Good Friday and Holy Saturday in the Lenten journey. If you could paint a picture for us of some of the memories you have experiencing these traditions from both the Eastern and Western church that converged in Lebanon. So I grew up in a culture that is uh, heavily drenched in religiosity, and um, you couldn't avoid religion even if you wanted to. (laughs) And there are some like really Christian neighborhoods, and you walk on the streets or you're in your home, and you're hearing Good Friday music all over the place. So that's one of the memories that comes to me. It's just like... Whether you're Christian or Muslim, you're just going through that neighborhood. You are part of Good Friday. You just live the moment. (laughs) You know, sometimes I think about the term cloistering, being cloistered as a foreign experience to my lived experience of Christianity. But when you say those things, it makes me realize how privatized and cloistered some of the ritual expressions of Lent and Good Friday and Holy Saturday were for me growing up as a Western Christian. Like even in Lent, you might have a a cross on your forehead from Ash Wednesday, but that might be the extent to which someone would see a religious symbol from, say, a Protestant Christian in the United States if they walked outside of their church. But the rest of the stuff is all happening inside a sanctuary and you can't hear the music outside. But your experience was totally different than that. Yeah, we have this beautiful tradition in all of the um, religious holidays, whether Christian or Muslim, is that Christians will go visit Muslims on their holidays and Muslims will come and visit us on our holidays. And Mm -hmm. we all know what's going on. We're all part of all the traditions. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of our friends, they know about Lent. They know about the fasting that we do. Uh, they know a lot about our tradition. So I think that's very beautiful because you're not just, it's not a private experience. It's like a very communal experience, but not only at the level of your neighbors, but like everyone. <laughs> your experience of participating in the rituals of your Muslim neighbors, has that changed or 
broaden your understanding of your own Christian experience? Absolutely. I have been invited to the iftar with some of my Muslim friends. And <laughs> sometimes the condition is that you have to fast. And the Muslim fast is really, really long. And I couldn't do it. <laughs> I cheated with water or maybe a little snack. And it kind of broadens your understanding of like our rituals, what we do and how other people do it and what it means for them. And it makes you think like, what does my fast mean for me? What does my tradition mean for me? I'm glad we're talking as we come into the Holy Week journey, which of course is a week-long experience beginning with Palm Sunday, where Christians remember the steps that Jesus took on his journey towards the cross and beyond that. And in particular, you and I are talking about a very commonly recognized moment in Holy Week, the Good Friday experience, the day of crucifixion. But also, we're taking a look at something that shows up in some Christian traditions and is not widely, I would say, experienced in a lot of Christian traditions, which is what's known as Holy Saturday, that day in between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. What is happening on Good Friday in your childhood? You hear the songs from many different churches around the city, right? You, whether you're in the church or outside the church or far away from the church. Good Friday is a very, very solemn and sad day everywhere. And the music is not only coming from churches, it's coming from stores, from homes, from cars. Do you know the description that Mark gives after Jesus pronounced his last breath and mm. things were dark and the whole universe was kind of grieving? It feels that way on Good Friday. Mm. I remember a specific year when I had to work at night and I wanted to sleep during the day and I couldn't because... <laughs> <laughs> the store next door wouldn't lower the music. And when I talked to him nicely, he was like, it's Good Friday. We have to do this. <laughs> so that's my memory. It's like everyone is mourning together. It's like the whole country, the whole universe is mourning the death of Jesus. It's such a beautiful image in a way, in its grief and its sense of unity. And I'm glad that you mentioned Mark, one of the things I love about Mark's recollection of the moment of crucifixion and Jesus's death is that darkness came over the whole land in the brightest time of the day. And there is this moment in which even the separation between the temple, the holy part that only one priest entered at a certain time, was torn into two and it was opened and fractured. And the separations between the to use a colloquialism, but church people or the folks who visited the temple and those who were allowed to go into this particular part in the temple was removed at that point. And I don't think I appreciate that as much until I think about the ways in which many communities around the world don't have that differentiation on these holy days. Speaking about Mark. Yeah. Usually in the ancient world, significant events on earth are accompanied by signs in the sky. And that's what he did, like darkness, for example. And after Jesus died, Mark will tell us that there was darkness for three hours. And darkness is the sign of the ultimate absence or non-existence of God. It's like 
God is protesting. Mm. The whole universe is protesting against the death of Jesus and that terrible thing that had just happened. So I think that's a really, really strong symbolism in Mark, the darkness and the silence that comes from it. Mm -hmm. And it's in stark contrast to previous Holy Saturdays and Good Fridays that I've observed in my life. It's strange as a Christian to observe a service of darkness, a Tenabre service, where there's a gradual darkening at the end of the evening. And then you sort of leave and you get in your car and you drive around and pop music is on the radio or like, (laughs) you know, you go by the fast food joint on the way home. And I yearn for that kind of integration to experience these moments. And this year, after a year of a very strange year of a lot of reckoning as human beings and a lot of silence and aloneness for many Christians, it seems like such an opportunity to enter into Good Friday and what's known in the Eastern tradition as a Saturday of light, to do that so intentionally and to say, what is it that if I have eyes to see and intention around it, I might see this particular year? You know, Sarah, I when the pandemic started, it coincided with Lent. Mm-hmm. And we all talked about how this has been a year of Lent. I read an article the other day from the PCUSA News that said that it's been a year of Holy Saturday. And that's taught me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that day before the resurrection, and that is still shadowed with the grief of Good Friday and the uneasiness of a still uncertain future. It struck me because we don't think of Holy Saturday in that way. You know how like theologians talk about the kingdom of God as an already not yet. Mm. And uh, we are living in the already not yet. And it made me think that this is what Holy Saturday is all about. You know, we know the resurrection is coming, but we're still waiting. Mm. Mm -hmm. You and I have talked before about how uneasy you are with this waiting and one of the traditions that we have back home is that we want to cut this waiting short and we call holy saturday the saturday of light Hmm. and at 3 p.m that afternoon people will start saying an expression that means the light has overflowed in arabic it's fadun nur and it's 3 p.m., we already start greeting each other saying Christ is risen. Hmm. So there's this like (laughs) uneasiness with staying in this in-between time. Yes. You mentioned that your mother um, was especially drawn to that moment in Holy Week. Yeah, I I would say, Mom, it's not Sunday yet. And her answer (laughs) would be... Father Noor, you know, that it's over. (laughs) (laughs) And when something is over in that moment, that Holy Saturday, something else necessarily begins. And these moments in time that we mark collectively as a people, we're ushered into those, whether or not we're carried along with them, carried along with the light that's overflowing and the rituals of that, the light that's coming out of the church out of Jerusalem, right? Is that where the light is coming from? Yeah, in Jerusalem, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, there is a tradition that says that the archbishop will walk into the church alone and a candle will be lit by what they call, sometimes they call it the holy fire. And it's the light of Christ, the light of resurrection that will light that candle. 
And it's believed that it's a miracle and a mass is held on Saturday at dawn in most Eastern churches. And then the light that comes out is received and spread to all parts of the world, uh, really, that's the tradition, because they start spreading it, and it comes to Lebanon, and the light will travel all the way from Palestine to Syria and Lebanon and neighboring countries. Can you imagine that, the priest who has entered the church in Jerusalem, in that moment before the torch is lit, knowing how the power and sacredness in that moment, the silence and waiting for it, it strikes me similar in some ways to those moments in church where a group of people might be observing silence together and you as the cleric are not sure how long they're willing to do the silence <laughs> or how long they're willing to wait before they give up and walk out, but not wanting to interrupt it because there's a different quality to the environment in that awaiting period. Yeah, I think there's a mystery element to it. Is that we're waiting and it's not easy. There is an uneasiness to that waiting, but we're not only waiting, but we're also hoping and we're expecting God to do something. What do you expect God to do this year? I'm expecting God to light that darn candle. <laughs> it's about time. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Would you be willing... Rula, to share a bit of one of the songs that enters in to the mystery of the resurrection. And tell me a little bit about that. Absolutely. There is a song that's sang from a female perspective. It starts with Mary Magdalene explaining or talking about her experience of going to the tomb and not finding Jesus. And then she starts asking, what have you done to him? Where is his body? She calls on the gardener, the angel, the guards. So there's a lot of mystery there and it leaves it there until the very, very end of the song when, when she will say he is risen. But it's a really long song. I'm not going <laughs> to sing all of it, probably just the first and last paragraphs. Mm -hmm. But the whole song is sang from a perspective of many female characters in the Bible. And it just sits with the mystery of not finding the body. And what's the song called? In Arabic, Al-Qabru Farigh, which means the tomb is empty. Al-Qabru Farigh, Aina akhastum Sayyidi, Aina wadatum Habibi. أيها الحراس أيها الملاك أيها البستان يا بطرس والرسل الحجر مدحرج القبر فارغ السيد ليس في القبر ما هذا الضياء السيد ليس في القبر ما هذا البهاء حبيبي ليس هنا أين خذتمو حبيبي ليس هنا ما هذا الضياء قال 
so the, the language in the final part is he is risen is that the translation that Mary is singing yes he is risen indeed the song begins in, in our discussion of the cosmic acknowledgement of the crucifixion and the sky turned dark and the entire world and community were aware that something had happened when Jesus was crucified and took his final breaths, which is such a contrast to this moment in Mark and this solitary, in some ways, voice singing out, acknowledging the mystery of the empty tomb, and then this profound moment when Mary sings, He is risen indeed. Uh, That resurrection moment was not a unified cosmic experience that the crucifixion moment was. It feels more that it's trickling out versus a flood of grief that Good Friday ushers in. Yeah, you know, Sarah, I feel like we've lost the mystery of this event and other events in our modern spirituality where it's so hard for us to sit with the not knowing and not understanding what had happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like even in the New Testament, I was reading the resurrection stories and there is really no uninterpreted account of the death of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Most of the accounts are post-Easter interpretations of why Jesus died. Jesus' followers sought to find meaning and his execution, and especially that they saw him as God's anointed one. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the empire put him to death is just unfathomable for them. And they wanted an explanation. And we do too. We need explanations. We look for explanations for things because we want to understand them rather than just sit with the mystery of them. Mm -hmm. And in so many ways, I feel like Holy Saturday is this Saturday of the Mysteries. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's blank in the New Testament. It's a mystery. We don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's almost like the evangelists are saying, intentionally left blank. (laughs) This page was intentionally left blank. Yeah, (laughs) for mystery purposes. (laughs) (laughs) I love that because it's so nice to have this tied up package of explanation handed to you, and it absolves me from any actual work or soul searching to find the meaning for myself. But when you search for the meaning, and when you do not find it right away, and you live into that year in and year out, what you find is more precious than gold. It's what makes your life meaningful. It's what saves us. Yeah, that's true. I mean, when you decide or surrender and finally sit with it, but we're not good at it. We're not equipped to do it. Friends, part two of my conversation with Rula is available right now online at newchurchnewway.org and wherever you listen to podcasts. Blessed Holy Week, friends. Thank you for listening to New Way the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Our producer is the fabulous Martha Ames Sanders. You can see stories and photos from the humans who make up this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. Catch you next time.